It seems kind of hopeless right now, but you're going to figure this out. This is pretty debilitating. I'm able to turn my pain into purpose. There are people out in the world that do understand what you're going through. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Kara Eloff about how her chronic illness journey inspired her to write a book about managing relationships within chronic illness. She's the author of The Chronic Pain Couple, How to Be a Joyful Partner and Have a Remarkable Relationship in Spite of Chronic Pain. And this was a topic that I was very excited to talk to someone about because this is so important for anyone living with chronic illness. Everyone deserves to have people in their life that make them feel loved. Everyone deserves to find romance and to have intimacy and to experience all the full facets of life. When one or more people within a relationship are experiencing chronic illness or chronic pain, it can add challenges to maintaining long-term relationships, which is hard enough as it is. Kara has not only lived through that herself, but she's done a ton of research and has developed some practical tools that you can apply to your relationship that she'll tell us all about on the podcast today. She'll also tell us her chronic illness story, all about her major pains, spondular arthritis, endometriosis, and neurological deficits post-spinal tumor removal. She'll tell us about finding it hard to find the same joy in life, having intimacy concerns, and practical concerns around finances. She started doing some research around chronic pain and couples, and she had a bit of a revelation that everything she was doing was about trying to lower her pain level but she wasn't focusing on her own mental health and the mental health of her partner. So from 2017 to 2020, she worked on creating a blueprint of practical steps for couples to take, target mental health, and find the best way to inject joy into your life and into your relationship. And I love this approach. This is very much in line with my own journey where I realized that I needed to find ways to inject joy into my life and into my relationship with my partner, Andy and find ways to be happy within a chronic illness flare-up. And Kara is really taking that to the next level with her work, trying to help other people to achieve those goals. So I'm thrilled to be featuring this topic on the podcast today, and we'll get to it in just a few minutes. Last week on the show, we spoke with our previous guest, Eric, about how severe diverticulitis almost claimed his life. I got this really fun comment on TikTok from our friend Chris Coates that says, wow, thank you for sharing this story. I love the message and also agree, farts are always funny. <laughs> Over on Instagram, our friend Andrew at Soulform Design says, complications of complications, big love to Eric. I also have to say, I, you know, Whenever I share these comments of, of uh, what people are saying on social media, it's almost always previous guests of the podcast commenting on other people's episodes. And that's something that I just love about this podcast is how many of the people that we interview on the show are along for the journey with us. So, so many people that listen to the show have been on the show. And I just love that sense of community that we are building here. So, thank you all so much for listening. It's so exciting. We also got a comment on Patreon on this episode. This is from Christine. It says, what an incredible journey. Diverticulitis is something my mom almost dealt with. I took care of her after her surgeries and it's not easy. So glad Eric is with us still. Christine, thank you so much for your comment and of course for your incredible support on Patreon. Several weeks had passed between the recording with Eric and when his podcast actually came out. So I did check in with Eric when his podcast was released to see how he's doing, and we do have a little bit of an update on his situation. Eric says, recovery is improving. I had the wound vac removed last week, and wow, I've made huge improvements. I can drive again, don't need a walker, not nearly as tired. The wound is almost done, just putting collagen in there and covering it up. Hopefully done with that in a month or less. I'm thrilled to hear that Eric is doing well, and... As we heard last week, once his wound has healed, he'll go back in for robotic surgery to reconnect his digestive tract. So I'll make sure to check in with him to see how things are doing after that surgery. We got a new five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts this week. We're up to 35 ratings, which is very exciting. Uh, this is from Zach2077. The review is called V Important. Great show. The episode with Raven was especially poignant and impactful. We'll share with my mom. Zach, thank you so much for your uh, five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Every single rating and review on Apple Podcasts helps us to reach new listeners. It is so important, such a powerful way to help support this podcast, and it's super, super appreciated. I also just noticed that we did get a new five-star rating on Spotify also this week, which is huge. Thank you so much. We're up to 27 five-star ratings on Spotify. That is amazing. 
Major Pain is featured on so many podcast platforms. I do keep a close eye on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. But if you leave us a positive rating and review on any other platform, please let me know. Take a screenshot, email it to me, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to share that on the podcast. Speaking of supporting the show, extra special thank you to our listeners who support this show on Patreon with monthly financial contributions. We have three tiers of support, the $2 per month supporter tier, $7 per month patron tier, and $25 per month producer tier. Each tier comes with different levels of recognition, gifts when you sign up, like our Major Pain coasters and tote bags, and monthly bonus episodes with myself and my partner Andy that are always so much fun. Extra special thank you to our Patreon producers, Supporting the show at our highest tier of $25 per month, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Another great way to support the show is by signing up to participate in research studies and surveys through Rare Patient Voice. This is a really cool program. You sign up using our affiliate link, which supports this podcast, rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast. And then you'll be contacted when they have a research study or survey available that fits your diagnosis. If you participate in one of these studies or surveys, you'll earn an average of $125 per hour for your time. We did have someone new sign up this week, which is so appreciated, whoever you are. And if you're interested in participating in this awesome program, that link again is rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast. All the links are always in the show notes, but I've discovered an issue where the links are not showing up in the podcast feed right now. I am working to fix it. I'm not sure how long it's going to take, but all the links are working on our website. So everything is normal on the website. It's just the way the feed is being broadcasted is having a little glitch right now. So if you want to make sure you're seeing all the links for our podcast descriptions, you can always find them on the website, majorpainpodcast.com. Speaking of the website, you can leave a comment on every episode of the podcast on our website. You can also leave comments if you're a Spotify listener right through the Spotify app, or just shoot me an email, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. I also love seeing the reactions to our new episodes on our social media pages, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at majorpainpodcast. I'll remind you, as always, that I am not a medical professional and nothing you hear on this podcast is intended as medical advice. Please do not take any action based off what you hear on this show without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our fantastic episode with Kara Eloff about managing relationships within chronic illness. Kara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you. It is tomorrow in Australia for you right now, compared to where I'm at. <laughs> it is. It is morning, but thankfully not too early. Yes. So. We were just discussing that we're having a time travel conversation. It's 5 p.m. for me and morning for you. <laughs> so strange. Um, but I'm really excited to talk to you today about uh, something that is very important to me. You know, we're going to be getting into uh, talking about relationships inside of chronic illness. But before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit. So, Kara, why don't you tell us about yourself? Sure. My name is Kara Eloff. I am the author and founder of The Chronic Pain Couple. And I'm an Australian mother and wife. Awesome. <laughs> How old is your is your child? He is seven. He's about to turn eight. Uh, his party is this Sunday, which the whole world revolves around his party right now. Oh, wow. Very exciting. I just went to my niece's uh, six-year birthday party. Very exciting. <laughs> oh, cute. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's amazing watching kids grow up and develop a personality. Yeah. I actually thought that I could create my son's personality how I would like after he was um, after he was born. But turns out, no, they come out with their own styles and, uh, and preferences. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's... It's amazing. You know, they can learn so much, but there's something sort of uh, intrinsic to who we are that we're just born with, it seems like. Yes, 100%. Yeah. 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 Well, let's get into your story a little bit. So, Kara, what is your major pain? A little bit long, but my major pain <laughs> is spondylarthritis, endometriosis, and neurological deficits post-spinal tumor removal. Wow. Okay. Well, let's go through this one by one. Uh, and I, some things here that I haven't heard of before. So let's go through them one at a time and tell us what are these major pains. Sure. So spinal arthritis, that is an umbrella term for a reactive arthritis, inflammatory arthritis. There's different types. And for me, it does inflame uh, some of the joints within my body, both within the spine and 
some of the peripheral joints, but it also does create enthesitis, which is inflammation where the tendon connects to the bone. Mm. So, uh, that can be quite painful. It is quite painful for me. Um, endometriosis. So, I have had a number of surgeries for endometriosis removal and ablation. Um, and then neurological deficits post spinal tumor removal. This is fairly recent. So, in December, we did find a tumor within my uh, spinal cord on my spinal cord. And so we had to go in and remove that in December. And during that surgery, uh, there were some complications, which meant that I lost some function and feeling in my left leg. So I have been in some intense rehab to learn to walk again with those deficits. Fairly new for me. Wow, fascinating. So I haven't heard of uh, spondylar arthritis before. What differentiates that from say like rheumatoid arthritis or osteoarthritis? So spondyl arthritis is a group of diseases characterized by inflammation in the spine and the joints. This is an umbrella term for conditions like ankylosing spondylitis, mm. psoriatic arthritis. I don't go into the specific one because I do have a history of ankylosing spondylitis in the family. However, after one of the treatments, I did have a reaction and some features of psoriatic arthritis did uh, surface. So, I rather just say spondylarthritis. It's a bit complex for me, yeah. but you might hear some other people saying that they do uh, suffer from ankylosing spondylitis um, or uh, there, there's there's a number of them. I don't know all the names of the different types of spondylarthritis, but there are a number of them. Gotcha. Okay. Oftentimes, these sorts of things are clinical diagnoses where one doctor might disagree with another, and then you're left thinking, okay, well, what do I actually have? So, it kind of makes sense to use that umbrella term because it's something in there. <laughs> and it yes. could be one, could yes. be the other, could be both, but let's just use this umbrella because it is encompassing of what's happening. Yes. Thank you for understanding. Yes, it can be quite tricky to uh, pin it down to just one kind of condition when yeah. symptoms do overlap. It gives the good picture of what's happening. Yes, definitely. And it sounds like you've been through a lot with your health. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has been a lot. And um, over time, working out what it is uh, that is going on, which is why I love the podcast that you have and oh, the work you. that you're doing, because it takes time to piece things together and it can be really isolating when you don't know what's happening. Yes, absolutely. I've definitely lived through that as well. So, what is the history of this? When did things start for you? So, I was living in London. I moved back to Australia. I was a newlywed with my husband. We'd only been married for a year and I loved running. I had just finished a half marathon and suddenly I had, and we were actually out furniture shopping and I just collapsed all of a sudden. And I had extreme pain in that right hip area. So, for a number of years, I just went to rehab, physiotherapy, thinking that it was a running injury, but it started to spread to other joints and it took a lot of time to work it out. But we realized that it was actually spondylarthritis, not a individual running injury. Yeah. And so, do you remember like about how long it took to figure this out? Was it over the course of months or like years? The process was probably a two-year period wow. of thinking that it was a running injury. And then we moved on to isolating that it was related to the sacroiliac joint, the SI joint. Um, and then from there, it was about three years until we realized that it was related to spondylarthritis mm. and that there was that family history of ankylosing spondylitis. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And that's a, a condition we've discussed on the podcast before. Did you get pushback from doctors as you were trying to figure this out? You know, was it doctors telling you, oh, this is a running injury, you do what they tell you to do, it doesn't work. And then was there any pushback as if, you know, maybe you as the patient weren't doing what they wanted you to do? Do we have three hours, Jesse? <laughs> well, where do I start? I actually remember crying outside of a rheumatologist um, a rheumatologist's office because I'd walked in there and she said it was my shoe choice. Wow. So, she said if I wore joggers 100% of the time, I wouldn't have these joint issues that I had. Um, and it took me 
some time to recover from that and to continue searching for answers because there were a lot of people that were saying, it's all just running. You need to stop running. And, and of course, I had stopped running and it had been a number of years and also wearing a support brace and so attractive, a newlywed wearing this <laughs> sacroiliac belt. Um, but, yeah, no, there were many, many doctors who said uh, it was mainly related to its posture, posture related. And so that was why it was physiotherapy twice a week. Um, yeah. And I was actually at one stage flying interstate to some of Australia's best physiotherapists. And it was after working with them for 18 months that they said, no, you're doing everything that you can from a posture point of view. This is actually more systemic. Wow. And that's such a hard thing to go through to have this, you know, change in your health that is taking away your favorite physical activity. You can't go jogging anymore. And on top of that, all these doctors are telling you it's essentially your fault. So, you know, it's frustrating to hear that that's the way things are in Australia as well, because that's definitely how it is over here uh, in America. Mm -hmm. So, and I, you know, I, I talk to people all the time where this is the case. It's just kind of what I come to expect at this point, that in order to get care from doctors, you kind of have to play their game for a long time and prove to them that you need help instead of them just listening to you when you first show up. Yeah, and I understand the difficulty from the other side. So, being a uh, – originally, I was a speech therapist here. Mm. Um, I did my master's in speech pathology, and now I do run – two psychology practices here um, and co-own them. So, I do understand the health practitioner side of yeah. when you come in, you can't jump to the worst case scenarios. It's kind of that zebra analogy where you have to be careful of, of which avenue you go down first and being conservative first and making sure you're, you're taking really sensible steps towards the right diagnosis. Yes, it can happen much quicker but I, I do understand that difficult side as well. Yeah. Well, that's a really important point to keep in mind. Yeah. And then there's also the emotional toll of, you know, being told this is your posture, this is the shoes you're wearing. If it were me, that would send me to a very dark place. Yeah. And I think that it impacts so much more than just uh, how we are physically, you're right. There's that whole mental side, but then it also stretches out to our relationships mm -hmm. and to our partners as well who's on this journey but they're often not part of the consults or if they are part of those consults they're not included within that treatment because our limitations the changes in therapy that we're given the everything that we're going through physically and mentally is not only impacting us but it's also impacting our partner as well so true and the way that we interact with our partner is altered by the level of pain that we're in it's really hard to be nice when you hurt. <laughs> oh, isn't it? It's so hard um, because, how? number one, it's so hard to understand what you're going through in chronic pain if you haven't experienced it. You can't describe to somebody without pain what it's like to have to choose between shaving your legs and brushing your teeth, which both are really important in a relationship. <laughs> so, and then when you're in survival mode, and you're trying to keep yourself going, how do you then use find energy to love somebody else and care for somebody else, uh, let alone emotionally support them as well when you are in those dark places when you're really struggling? So, definitely tricky. Yeah, totally. And especially, I mean, right after you got married as well. I mean, that's not the state you want to be in when you're forging a new partnership like that. Yes, but we were on that highway to healing that I, I love using this kind of analogy in that when you're not in the chronic pain world, when you haven't seen and experienced it before, you think that there's an answer at the end of this road with a <laughs> cure, you're going to move on, you know? So, so I kind of say- <laughs> Sorry, that's, so that's so true. Yeah, you. it takes a while to realize that that might never happen. <laughs> It does. Oh, and when it does, you need wine and tissues, right? Because sure. when you realize what chronic means, it's not pretty. Yeah. But we get on this highway to healing. We focus just on finding that QR, finding the treatment, finding the diagnosis that we just, that's all we focus on. And we say to ourselves, 
after the next treatment, it will be better. Um, we say, it, when I am well, we will do this. When I am well, we can go back to having the relationship that we have. But then if people stay on that highway to healing and it goes on for an extended period of time, that's when they end up in our psychology clinics going, mm. I actually don't know who this person is anymore that I married or we don't know what to do because our whole life is just focused on treatments and problem solving and conversations about health. So, it's really important to be aware of that highway to healing and where we're going to get practical support along the way to enjoy the journey because you can even with all of this happening with a long major pain story. I love this. And I, I've said similar things so many times. I had this revelation with my partner, Andy. We'd been dating for about four years and we're still together. I'm happy to say we made it through this. But about four years into our relationship, I had been sick the entire time. You know, I, I had just gone on medical leave right before our first date. Um, you know, I wasn't working, so I'm like, I'm going to try to meet somebody. <laughs> I don't know how I had the energy for that. But then I was misdiagnosed with Lyme disease, started, you know, treatment for that, got sicker and sicker, and then like went to a naturopath who made me worse and worse. And I just, you know, had a really rough time. And about four years into this, I'm like, wow, I'm not getting better. And this isn't fair to you. You know, I thought that I'd be better within a year and uh, of going off of work. I'm still not back to work. There's no end in sight. My mobility is declining. We are just waiting to have a relationship. We keep talking about that. It's like that highway to healing that you're talking about. We had just been kind of, you know, on that one highway for years. And I had this revelation that I can't do this anymore. Like I need to go on to like a nice chill beach road or something. And I need to go relax and forget about this highway for a while. And I, I don't want to get off this highway forever, but we need to live in the moment. We need to enjoy our relationship now. And we need to consider the fact that this might never change. And if it doesn't change, how do we build a happy relationship inside of this? And it was like a really horrible realization to have, but also like in incredibly important and healing thing to have happen. And it's really why I think we survived. Our relationship survived is because we had that moment. Mm, that's incredible. So, when you had that moment, what did you change? You know, it was really just a, a mindset shift. Let's start trying to find ways to make this fun, you know? <laughs> and that's about the time I started I started using a wheelchair. I was I used a wheelchair for about two years until very recently we um we think we have a diagnosis and I'm doing a lot better and I'm mobile again, which is incredible. Never never expected it to happen. Hoped it would happen, but you know, kind of had to let go of that possibility. And I think that's also part of it too, is like being willing to let go of the possibility or the expectation that you will get better and just being okay living with things as they are. Exactly. And I totally think that this is the thing that we get stuck on. We think that if we accept our circumstances, that that means we're not going to work as hard to change it. Hmm. So, we go, no, 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 I'm not going to accept it because I'm going to work so hard to change it. But if we accept it, it means that we stop that struggle and we stop wasting our energy on butting up against where we want to be versus where we are. And we use that energy to just enjoy the moment, but also make plans for how you're going to, in a sustainable way, work towards a solution to the health problems. And it's so interesting you say the wheelchair part because there was a time where I had to use a wheelchair, but it was in the back of our ute for weeks because every time we rocked up at a place, I was like, hell no, <laughs> I'm not getting in that. And then we pulled up at Ikea. I mean, there was no way I could have walked through <laughs> Ikea, oh, but I yeah. really wanted the meatballs, which were right at the end. And I thought, how am I going to get to the meatballs? I'm not, oh. And so, we got the wheelchair out and I cried. I was a mess. I cried in the wheelchair all the way up into Ikea. And halfway through, we had the best time that we had had in months because mm. I wasn't in pain. Mm -hmm. uh, I could hold everything on the wheelchair. I mean, we bought way more than what we needed. Um, yeah, it was my heart was racing because all of this, these thoughts of this isn't who I thought I would be. Um, you know, you build yourself up to be this person you want the world to see, but actually sometimes that stops us from 
accepting our situation and doing what's needed to be able to enjoy the moments with our partner. I love that. And yeah. this, and this, we had the best time ever. We got to the meatballs. We and it was just that acceptance, that going, you know what, this is what I need in this situation. And yeah. that's okay. If I accept that now, it doesn't mean that this is going to be my situation tomorrow or in an hour. I can change it. But if I accept it right now, you remove that struggle and you get that energy back. And I mean, we're all fighting fatigue. We don't need any more. We don't need to compound it on ourselves. Um, and that's just, yeah, really important. Acceptance doesn't mean we give up. Yeah. I love that story. That's so great. And Ikea, I mean, it's huge and you're going to get lost. And if mobility is a challenge, you might be spending the night on one of those couches in the middle of that store. <laughs> so yeah, bring in some wheels with you. Yeah. I mean, I haven't used my wheelchair in a while now. You know, I still have flare up days. And, you know, even just last night, I went to uh, Andy and I went to a friend's house and, you know, I ate something I shouldn't have. I flared up my legs, my pain came on, my legs started struggling. And, you know, she had to half carry me out of his apartment at the end of the night. Um, so if I'd had my wheelchair, then I might have used it. But I'm, I'm not generally taking it with me places anymore. And there's a lot of times where I really miss it because the the feeling of not being mobile and then having a tool that gave me my mobility back, I have like nothing but positive feelings about my wheelchair. And, you know, I went to Disneyland in that wheelchair and I was able to do everything that day because I had it with me. Um, and whereas like, it just would have been impossible for me to go to Disneyland before, you know, like I, when my mobility wasn't so good. So yeah, I mean, what an amazing tool and to be able to go to Ikea, have less pain, focus on enjoying yourself, enjoying the relationship, enjoying shopping, which can be so fun sometimes, you know, that tool gives you that opportunity and that option. I love just taking advantage of that and going for it, even though I, I also love what you're saying about, you know, we work on presenting something to society and a wheelchair is well outside of what a lot of us would imagine for ourselves. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think the hardest part for me about using a wheelchair was the way that some people reacted to it. Uh, you know, my own reaction, I had a weird reaction at first, but I got over it pretty quickly because it was so great. But then other people's reactions, they didn't get over it. You know, some people remained uncomfortable with it every time they saw me in a wheelchair. Mm, yeah, I think it's that invisible illness mm. slant that it's really hard to understand extreme fatigue or understand. I mean, I, after my spinal cord uh, tumor, my spinal tumor recently, I have access to a disability park sticker, which is amazing. And I mean, I'm never, my kid is never late for school now because I've got the one park always at the school car park. But somebody like me getting out who's young and if I'm not wearing my leg brace, if I'm having a day where I'm going, okay, I'm going to try and walk this distance because that's where we're up to with rehab. Um, yeah, it is quite hard for some of the comments that you get still. It's mm. um, definitely invisible illnesses are really hard for healthy people to understand, but that's all right. Each to their own. I mean, we, <laughs> we, we've got, we've got this podcast, Major Pain knows it, you know it, Jesse. So um, yeah, we, there's definitely people out there that understand and health professionals that get it. I mean, mm. once you find your team, once your partner's on board as well, this is the other thing. So the first part of my book and the program is all about rebuilding the foundations as a couple, getting on the same team. So this invisible illness is really easy to forget for a healthy, loving partner who's looking at you and it's different every day. It's okay. So yesterday we went out and we did this, but today you're not able to do it. That's a very hard thing to understand. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to know the right questions to ask and answers to give and, and ways to rebuild the foundation of what's possible, not possible, uh, what's important and what helps a partner with chronic pain. How long in your chronic pain journey did it take for you to have that moment where you realized that, you know, you needed to shift something in your relationship and, and have some you know, language around acceptance and around how to approach one person being in chronic pain and the other not? Mm. Good question. So, 
I spent a lot of time trying to find somebody with the answers for yeah. a couple because I thought there's so many people, one in five people with chronic pain, there's got to be somebody that has the practical tools. And I mean, we don't, we didn't need couples counseling. We weren't thinking about divorce or we weren't in, in distress, which some couples are, and this also works for them. But we just found it hard to find the same joy in life and together. And there were also intimacy issues going on and practical concerns about finances and work and our roles as partners in a relationship. And so I really tried looking for somebody with those answers and I couldn't find them. So I actually started going to the university library where I was doing my master's and I started researching about uh, what research has been done on chronic pain and couples just in my spare time. And I found an article in one of the research journals which said that it's not only pain intensity that determines relationship satisfaction, but it's also the mental health wellness of both partners. And I kind of just stopped and thought, hang on, everything I'm doing is focusing on decreasing my pain because I thought if my pain is the thing that came and took our joy away, then the chronic pain and the chronic illness is the thing that needs to leave. But what research started showing is that you can also target the mental health wellness of both partners and you can have similar outcomes in relationship satisfaction. Mm. And so I started trialing that dialing down treatment and upping mental health treatment. And the results were incredible. And then some of the mental health treatment that I was getting individually I could see that could be adapted to couples also. But then as I started to research it, there wasn't anybody working or doing things in that space. And as somebody that owns a psychology clinic as well and, and has a team of psychologists and knows that couples are coming in looking for this type of support, uh, I spent uh, from 2017 to 2020 working on a practical blueprint for what the research says and my own experience on practical strategies for couples. Wow, that's amazing. And can you share anything about that blueprint with us? A hundred percent, yes. So in the book, we go through kind of five stages. So it starts with a getting on the same team as your partner. So it's not you and your pain versus your partner. Many couples that are really struggling will come in thinking that. And what it is, is it's you and your partner versus the pain. So you get on the same team. Yes, life is different. We rework the foundations. But the problem here is that often if we go to couples counseling, it's weeks and weeks of, of counseling. There's fatigue issues and it's not, uh, it's not informed by pain science. So there's things we have to consider in terms of being in survival mode, having fatigue, what the science says about relationships and attachment in chronic pain. And so with the foundations, I just do a simple three-page PDF conversation that you can fill out answers to of, okay, what are the things that I can do as a partner that can help you avoid a flare-up, can help you during a flare-up, what medications are you on? Things like that. So really, we were reworking the foundations. And then we move on to communication. This is definitely not the boring, make sure you're open and honest with your partner, which I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and I have a degree in communication. So it's definitely not that. This is communication like, how do we decrease the amount of time we're talking about our health condition and treatments and make space for more joy? And how do we do that with little energy being used because we're experiencing fatigue and maximum outcomes. We want everything that we are doing because we don't, we don't have all day when we're unwell to throw mud at the wall and see what sticks. We can't do that anymore. I used to go about my day not thinking about how to inject joy into my day. I would just go for a long run at the end of the day because if I didn't feel fulfilled, that would make me feel fulfilled. Mm. But now I have a window of four hours each day and I make sure that everything I do, everything I focus on, it's aligned with my values. I know what brings me joy. And that's what we really look at in communication is going, 
yeah, what what do you each value? How do we create space for this joy? And how do we maximise how we communicate love as well because energy's a concern? So that's the second phase is communication. The third one is mental health. So I call it mind matters. I just mentioned about that really important research that I found that it's not only pain intensity that determines relationship satisfaction, but also the mental health wellness of both partners. Both is in capital letters. We forget that our condition is affecting our partner just as much and improving our relationship is not just about decreasing the pain or removing the condition. It's both partners' mental health and and emotional well-being. So we look at how do we avoid caregiver burnout and compassion fatigue for the partner. Mm. And I actually had a couples, a relationship expert join my program recently because she said, I'm a relationship expert and all my tools aren't working. (laughs) And I knew there would have been a piece of the puzzle that was missing and it was that. She had forgotten that in order to improve the relationship, focusing on the partner's emotional well-being and resilience for dealing with these situations. I mean, our partners are making decisions sometimes in the middle of the night. Are we going to hospital? Are we staying home? Who are we calling right now? What medication do we need to give right now? And I think we're aware of it, that it is taking a toll on our partner, but it's hard to know what to do. So, this section of the book is all about what are the practical steps to improve the mental health wellness of both partners. Then we move into intimacy because who is talking about it? Mm. (laughs) Come on, guys. (laughs) Everyone's doing it, but nobody's talking about the struggles we're having. So, we talk about the three really common problems that come up in intimacy for chronic pain couples. And number one, that is the straightforward intimacy can be painful Mm. for many people. Number two, that there can be a lack of desire for intimacy because of chronic pain. So, if we were being chased by a bear and in survival mode because we thought we were going to get eaten by a bear, we're not going to stop running and think, ooh, I think (laughs) I might want to. (laughs) Hey, baby. (laughs) So, that's exactly the same for chronic pain. Pain is a danger signal to the body. We're in survival mode. Of course, we're going to have trouble with turning on that side of us that is for when we feel safe and relaxed. So, we look at the solutions to that. And then thirdly, the third problem that comes up is a healthy partner or a supporting partner. I haven't mastered the best way to call a a supporting partner because sometimes they do also have a health condition, but for the partner, them feeling unloved or undesired if they constantly are initiating intimate moments Mm -hmm. or intimacy and they're being knocked back. And that's it's a real problem to discuss. And so that's that's the the next section. And finally, we talk about a new normal. So how to inject joy into the everyday, how to hit big goals. So I love big projects, big goals, but when you've only got a small number of good hours in a day when you're unwell, it's all about the tricks of <laughs> great goal setting, um, And we also look at then how to keep our eyes on bigger goals in our life when those flare-ups come. You know what it's like. It's so hard to not get pulled into uh, struggling with the fact that this is the body that we're in right now. But we accept it and we know that we can change it. Yeah, I totally. I mean, this sounds amazing. And I love that you're doing this Like, because this is the thing that no one's talking about, you know, and it's uh, for, for every single person who has a chronic illness or who is disabled, who is in a relationship, um, either, you know, an interabled couple or maybe both people have a chronic illness. These things matter so much. Like what you were saying about, you know, if one person is uh, always trying to initiate, but the other person is, you know, in too much pain to be intimate, those things like really matter. You know, th- there's like that repeated sort of coalescence of a problem 
where it's like, it's not a problem at first. It's like, oh, well, this isn't a good day. But when you have so many bad days in a row, and then the other person starts to feel, oh, well, I'm not going to initiate anymore. And then no one's initiating anymore. And then suddenly there's a huge problem that didn't exist before. And that can happen in so many different ways in so many different places inside of a relationship. So being proactive about trying to see them coming and, and have some language and some communication around it is massively important. Uh, for anyone in any sort of relationship like this. I 100% agree, which is why I wrote when I don't love writing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) When did this happen in your journey? When did this this book happen? Um, And, you know, we were talking through your story and you get your diagnosis. Um, When does endometriosis come in after that? You then pile on another chronic illness on top of chronic illness. Uh, What's the timeline of all of this happening? It kind of blurs in, Uh, but I do know, I do know, 2017 is when I really got passionate about researching couples and chronic pain and living joyfully. I put down the book a little bit between 2018 and 2019. I think uh, I actually went to Bali and got really sick, ended up in a hospital there and had to like, I, I I, I lost so many kilograms in a week. Um, and we didn't know what was wrong with me. So I ended up coming home in a wheelchair and that kind of rocked me a bit, that experience as well, because it was just like a cherry on top, you know, those moments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so a number of things happened. Also being really busy with the clinic. So we expanded, we had three clinics running before COVID, uh, three psychology clinics on the Sunshine Coast in Australia. And then we combined down to two. So there was a lot of work things going on. I put it down, but it just didn't leave me. I, I wanted answers and I wanted to give answers as well. And I started to see so much success with what I was trialing in my own relationship that people were asking us. They We would go out with friends and they would say, hey, weren't you in hospital last month? You guys seem really happy. <laughs> and these are healthy friends. And I was saying, yeah, we are we're hacking our love life because I don't have energy to focus on anything that's not going to be hard hitting and love giving and joy filling in our lives. So I then finished the book and get this, I finished the book March, 2020. Yeah. And all the publishers, (laughs) all the publishers closed down because of COVID. Yeah. And so I had to wait for the publishers to open back up and really thank, Thankfully, an amazing uh, worldwide publisher, Exile Publishing, contacted me and said, yeah, absolutely love the book. We think it's needed. And from there, it actually was launched in Australia last year, but it only dropped in the US March this year. So it's pretty fresh around your part of the world. Wow. So cool. How about being a, a parent? I mean, that's a whole other wrinkle on top of, you know, already managing multiple chronic illnesses, managing a relationship, and then becoming a parent on top of that. Was there feelings of, I don't know if I'm up to this, if I can do this? Yes. So, the wheelchair story is part of my pregnancy story. So, because of that SI joint dysfunction, I had to have a lot of help during pregnancy because walking was quite hard. But at that stage, I didn't have the diagnosis. I was still in the phase, this was 2015, I was still in the phase of running injury when I was pregnant. Mm. Wow. So, uh, quite hopeful. I really wasn't concerned about anything chronic illness-wise when I was pregnant, but the spondyl arthritis was triggered after that, uh, the birth of my son. Okay. So, it was at that stage that everything kind of started to come together and we realized what was happening. Definitely, um, I left the story, any stories about my son out of the book because I know that having a child is a big decision and problem for many of people, many people with chronic illness and chronic pain. And I didn't want to bring that into the book. It was about a couple and relationships. I mean, that's definitely a big part of diff- of difficult moments in a relationship is going, okay, can we have kids? What is your health like? Um, and that's definitely a conversation. I mean, I went out to dinner with my mum last night and 
half the conversation is, yeah, what does it look like for having a second child? Or And it's so complex. Um, I mean, my son, he's got a fear of bears and one day I'm going to have to tell him that came from me literally lying under blankets when I was exhausted, pretending that there was a bear chasing us just so he would lay down with me under the blanket. Um, <laughs> so, parenting is hard when you have flare-ups and you have chronic illness, but at the same time, he has so much empathy. Uh, he is just the most incredible child. Um, he cares so much. Yes, I I don't like it when he sees me unwell, but he he has a lot of compassion for, for people who are unwell and he definitely knows the work I'm doing. Um, when we see somebody unwell, he says, Mom, should we give them your book so they can have a great relationship? <laughs> oh, that's so cute. <laughs> um, once you got your diagnosis with uh, your arthritis diagnosis, was that, you know, this moment where suddenly there's treatment options available and did that improve your, your pain situation? That's a sore topic, Jesse. Oh, <laughs> um, I... There was so much hope. You know what it's like at the start. You think, wow, we have a medication. Um, we are probably on medication number 130. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are a number of treatments that have worked well for me and they keep me functioning really well. Um, I mean, the surgeries for endometriosis was really helpful. Mm. I do a lot of um, rehab at the moment for the deficits with the left leg. So management, I, I, I'm doing well, but definitely, uh, yeah, we, we are on a journey of treatment still. Yeah. And yeah, that's mm. so frustrating because there's, you know, there's so many things to try and it's like, what is the magic combination of, you know, uh, physical therapy and, you know, practical things like what am I eating? How am I sleeping? When am I waking up? And then also what supplements am I taking and which of these many medications are available that I can try and falling into that perfect mix that gives you the best version of what you can exist as within this chronic illness because the illness isn't going anywhere. Uh, that is so hard and it takes years sometimes. I am so glad you just mentioned that because this is actually something that I think really impacts couples as well. So, of course, I am the master of clean eating now, dairy-free, gluten-free, everything <laughs> down, to, down to sweet potato. Um, but no, so I'm not really. I, but I, do, I have spent a lot of time honing in on my diet as well. But sometimes what we can do when we know that there's things that we should be doing to improve we forget that we're human. Mm. And if this was a friend who, or even our, our partner, if our partner was going through this, we would encourage them. We would say, hey, you're doing really well, keep going. But when we wake up and we know there's things that we could be doing and perhaps we're overwhelmed, perhaps we want pancakes today because we're in so much pain and it's just one of those days, which for me, I love pancakes. So, I might just say that every day. But- <laughs> If we wake up on one of those days and it's hard to do the right things because many people, everyone tells us what the right thing is. So sometimes it can be completely overwhelming. We don't speak kindly to ourselves like we would to a friend. Mm -hmm. To motivate ourselves, we actually trigger our inner critic. So you should be doing this. You should be doing this. Why aren't you doing this? Don't you want to get better? Don't you care about what this person said or how you should be eating? And actually, I wasn't tuned into that part of my journey until quite uh, quite recently, probably 2019, I, I started to really research self-compassion, which is the, 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 the treatment or the, the solution to this hardness and this hard way that we talk to ourselves, which is very important to treat because it can underline our low self-esteem. It can cause mental health difficulties. Um, all of these thoughts can be going on when we're in a relationship and having interactions with our partner as well. So, 
when we start to realize, hang on, there's another way to encourage ourselves. It doesn't need to be this harsh way because we think if we're going to talk kindly to ourselves, we think we'll crumble and we just won't do anything then. We won't help ourselves at all. But actually the opposite is true. When we're kind to ourselves, we can do more and we can be more and we can heal more. So we say, yes, Kara, it's hard today. You're in in so much pain, but good job not having that because you know that that might be inflammatory or good job going to physiotherapy today. Even though you didn't try as hard as what you know you could, you were there. Good job. And this is going to really um, to help us deal with this day-to-day battle by taking off some of the suffering. We, we have our physical suffering that we go through and then we add our own mental suffering. And I really think it comes out in two different ways. The first one is this not being compassionate to ourselves, but also focusing so much on where we thought we would be and where we want to be versus where we are. And that's that acceptance piece. So acceptance mixed with self-compassion, woo, you will be a totally different partner, more joyful. You will be laughing in Ikea, <laughs> eating meatballs. <laughs> I'd love to hear more about your um, spinal tumor. How did you discover that this was happening? This is really fresh for me. Yeah. Actually, I haven't put a lot of things on socials about it or because uh, I'm quite in the middle of it still. Yeah. Um, but we were heading over to Canada in December an amazing white Christmas we'd planned. We're going to Whistler. I mean, for Aussies who are in the middle of the heat here, it was going to be incredible. But um, right before we headed off, we, I, I was presenting to my healthcare team a lot with sciatic pain um, and I was having trouble laying down, but we thought that was just my regular condition uh, related to pelvis pain and um, and spinal pain but uh it started to get quite intense and i went and got a second opinion and in a mri scan we did find a um a tumor that was on the spinal cord so i think that the actual name for it is intradural extra medullary tumor uh quite rare apparently Mm. and um but yeah i i was the lucky one um that had this. And when we found out, it was basically they were quite shocked that I hadn't already lost ability to uh, walk. So, it was a kind of um, urgent removal situation. So, we were meant to go to Canada the following week. We didn't. We instead went in for surgery and I went in for surgery. Um, Thankfully, all of my uh, nerve function to organs was uh, was still okay. But when I woke up, I had lost feeling in my left leg and some movement in my left leg. So, uh, I stayed in hospital for uh, uh, just under a month and uh, went into a rehab hospital. Uh, relearned to walk with my uh, difficulties with my leg. But now I'm just down to one rehab day a week down on Thursdays. And actually yesterday was my first day without a leg brace for the whole day. So I'm feeling so much stronger. So thankful uh, that we even have surgeons that are able to solve something like this. I mean, if I was in some other countries, I may not have found the cause or been able to get treatment for it. So, um, but yeah, quite quite a fresh a fresh problem that I've just gone through, yeah. which is very humbling. Yeah, that sounds super intense. Is this like you can regain some feeling over time or is it you have to learn to function without that feeling? Or do we know? Yeah, do, we don't know many things, do we? we? Which we think that we do before we get unwell. We think doctors yeah. have answers to everything. Yeah. And then once, yeah, something comes along, you realize. But for me, they are saying, in about two years, I'll know whether I'll have feeling or function back to those areas that I don't have it right now. So, wow, um, yeah. That's a long time to wait to find out something very important. It is. I am hopeful. We have done nerve tests on the nerve and I do have function of that nerve still um, happening, which is really good. Although it's a small amount, it's, it's intact, which is great. So, mm. um, but you know, if I don't get function back, that's okay. 
I'm okay with that. I think that it's been a long journey for me to get to this point, but I probably felt most awful about my family missing out on the holiday. Mm. I, I knew that everything was going to be okay because when we focus on self-compassion and acceptance and we find out what brings us joy, we realise that we can detach it from what we can do and who we are and who we want the world to think that we are. Um, and a lot of it, I can find that satisfaction from small parts in my day. I re I value seeing my son be healthy. And that might be from packing a healthy lunchbox to taking him to a soccer game. I value that. And I, I value encouraging my husband and spending time with him. And I mean, I would have said that I love running, but I've had time to dissect what it is about running that I loved. And it was the the challenge and being in nature and the health benefits of it, which I can get from eating healthy and going for a walk in nature and setting really big goals in life, like writing books and starting companies and, and speaking internationally. Um, that's what I subbed in for those challenges. And we don't need to be held captive by our flare-ups and our happiness and joy doesn't need to go up and down depending on how our pain is each day. Yeah. And it sounds like all of this work that you've done to sort of deconstruct how to make joy and make space for joy has really served you so that when a new challenge comes up, you have these tools in place. And I totally, I totally agree. I know that some people might listen to this and think, wow, this is like, a lot of positivity may be too much for me, you know? <laughs> this is like that positive thinking that I don't know if this is real or honest, but this strikes me as very real and honest and something that I have also lived through, which is that, you know, I had a period in my life that is very, very recent. You know, I've only been back mm -hmm. on my feet for about six months. Um, but right before that, I was using a wheelchair, uh, I was ambulatory, so I could walk short distances, but if I needed to go a further further distance, I would use a wheelchair. And I got to this point in the wheelchair, I was like, you know what? This is cool, you know? Like, I can be a happy person and use a wheelchair. And if I don't get right. my full function back, I can have a happy life. I have an amazing partner, and we've really worked through some hard things together, and we are in a really great place. And I'm happy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm not using a wheelchair all of a sudden. And it, it's, it's a weird, complicated thing to have come to this point of learning that I could be happy using a mobility aid for the rest of my life, you know, accepting that and being okay with that. And then not needing it all of a sudden is a very strange feeling. But, but knowing that, you know, if, if I flare up again, if I get really bad again, and I need to use the chair again, that the chair is not going to be a deterrent to me being happy. And in that way, it's, it's really hard to do this, but you can look at the flare-up itself and say, this doesn't have to be a deterrent to me being happy, you know? I really believe that you can have a chronic illness, be horribly flared up, and have a happy, fulfilling life. I really believe that that's possible. It is hard and is a challenge. But the thing is, is like when you have no physical limitations and you're just, you know, a super person who's running around doing everything and that you could possibly think of, you might still be miserable because you haven't had to reckon with how to be happy. And being happy is a practice that you have to get good at. It's not something that we're, you know, some people are just born and can do it. And I don't understand that, but it's something you kind of have to work at. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it sounds like you've really, you made the choice years ago to say, hey, I'm living through some hard things, but I still want to be happy. How am I going to do it? And you really went went hard, you know. <laughs> you did all this research. <laughs> you wrote a book. Um, you you know you did all these things to kind of hack your own mood and your own relationship to keep yourself happy. And it sounds like it's working. And I think that is a very practical way to go about having a happy life, you know. And I think in some ways more practical than the person who is unchallenged and miserable, you know. <laughs> yeah. But you raise a really good point in that, you know, it might seem un seem unbelievable, but I'm also okay with when, and, and I bet you you've had these moments where I'm okay when things get hard and I express that. I yeah. mean, when I woke up from this surgery, I looked at my husband. Well, first of all, 
he touched a different part of my body and I said, oh, I can't feel that. He was up, up at the top end and <laughs> played a prank on him, which he still will not forgive me for. Oh, no. um, but, <laughs> but anyway, um, the second thing I did was I actually, um, well, it, oh, it was a little bit later after waking up from the surgery and I wasn't able at all to sit up. I was stuck laying down. And I just said to him, can you push the table over to me? And he pushed the table over to me and he probably thought I needed the water on it. And I pushed with as much strength as I could everything off the table into the wall. And I said, it's not okay. I didn't say it. I yelled it. This is not okay. Because I can experience joy up and down from a flare-up, it doesn't mean that I am not angry and upset about what I have to go through and when things get really hard that I don't think that they're hard. But when I feel like that, it's okay. And it's okay within our relationship for me to feel like that too and for him to know that, yeah, I, I'm going to find these things hard, but what's so important too is he knows what I'm going to find hard because he knows what I value. He knows what's going to be most upsetting to me is that I can't get up in the morning and help with my son and help him do those healthy activities or I can't be there to encourage my husband if he's doing something that I would love to go and watch and be at. And so, yeah, the moments, there are the hard moments. I think my husband like stared at me when I threw everything across the room and went, this is, isn't okay. And for people listening, what you're going through, it's not okay. It's not okay what Jesse you're experiencing. It's not okay what I have. Um, and focusing on finding joy within it doesn't take away that. Mm. It's pretty rubbish to be sick. I mean- it's chronic, it's it's relentless, um, and I really hope that we all find our answers. But in the meantime, we can't burn ourselves out and be driving on that highway to healing with our tyres all ripped up and no petrol in the tank. We've got to pull over and learn the strategies to find joy while on this journey. Yeah, yeah, and both things can be true at the same time. It can be not okay, you can be super angry, but you can also find ways to make room for joy inside of that situation. And, yes. and that practice also can teach you patience and bring you a level of um, self-awareness that can bring you a lot of joy, you know, and, and sort of root that joy in a bedrock that is stronger than would have been otherwise. And that's something where like, there's always something to be learned from going through these things. You can learn about yourself, learn about, you know, the, what, what it's going to take to give you the happiest life possible, even if it's not the healthiest life, you might end up being happier than you would have been if you'd never been challenged by these health issues. So, I have one more question for you. If you could go back in time and give yourself a message before this uh, maelstrom of health problems started, back when you were jogging all the time and had, you know, no health worries in the world, if you could go back to that moment and give yourself a little piece of advice to ease your own journey, what do you think it would be? I think it would be you're going to be happier with these struggles you're about to face. So, hold on. I love that. Because, you know, in a lot of ways, that's true. <laughs> do you feel that? Do you feel like you're a happier person now than you were before this health stuff started? Yes. I feel like I, I have more consistent joy in my life and I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing. And I love that. Yeah. I do have, you know, lower lows in terms of learning to walk again. I mean, <laughs> that's hard. And that's harder than my struggles. I was probably worried about things like, I don't know if I was going to get to travel in mid-semester at uni. Um, that was probably my worry when I was in uni. So, the struggles are much deeper and harder, but the joy is more consistent, mm -hmm. I think, now. But it, it's a process. I mean, this for me started so long ago, um, and I don't think you can just jump from a diagnosis and, and struggling with health to this 
stage. It takes a journey. And I think that it's really important not to do that journey on your own either, because chronic pain can change the way that you look at the world. And if you really want a great relationship, you've got to bring your partner along for that ride as well, so that you are both making decisions and viewing the world in this new way um, together. I love it. Well, Cara, what an amazing conversation. This has been so much fun. Please tell us again the name of your book and where people can go to connect with you online. Great. So, it's The Chronic Pain Couple. Uh, Instagram is my favorite account, but please pick up the book. It's just dropped in the US. It is in bookstores. Uh, it can also be purchased, purchased online at many outlets. It's called The Chronic Pain Couple, How to Be Joyful and Have a Great Relationship in Spite of Chronic Pain. My name's Kara Eloff. I am so thankful for this conversation, Jesse. Yeah, I'm so glad that that we made this happen. So fun to talk to you. And so much of what, so much of what you're saying are things that I've sort of um, rest, been wrestling with and kind of came to similar conclusions over the years. And it's really cool to hear someone else say it, <laughs> especially someone who's got some research behind it. Um, you know, these are really, really important topics and getting to hear your perspective on it has been uh, a real joy. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your story with us today. No worries, Jesse. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons, Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, Justin Minnick, Heather Muncy, and Robert, and our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.